If you have your Bible, would you open, please, to Leviticus chapter 23? Uh, as we, we're almost halfway through our study of this book. Can you believe it? We're going to do about six weeks in Leviticus. This is our third week. We traverse books like this, if you've been with us for the first two weeks of this. I'm trying to give a larger story rather than just verse by verse through a book that's quite complicated for us in our context to understand. We've talked about things last week. We're talking about things like animal sacrifices, so different from our context. But trying to give a larger picture as to why this is in the Bible, why this is in the law. Again, I feel like part of what I'm trying to do in preaching through a book like Leviticus is see where it fits into the grand narrative. Because if we don't see that, we can end up in the mosaic legalism. Should I be doing this? Should I uh, be sacrificing something? Should I practice today? We're going to talk about feasts. And should... so take a deep breath before we look. Let's see where this fits. The entire Bible is pointing us to the one God revealed in Jesus Christ. Okay? Let's keep that in mind as we go. Galatians says even the law is a tutor to lead us to Christ. That when you read the law of Moses, which is the sort of half the book of Exodus, all of Leviticus and the beginning of Deuteronomy, its purpose isn't to chain us and bind us with regulation. That's how it can seem. And for Jews who remain in that, it becomes a chain. The Bible teaches that it's to be a tutor to lead us, to point us like a compass points north, to point us to Jesus, and then to show us how impossible it is for us to live out these things without Jesus. Even the Ten Commandments, which people would say, well, well, yeah, they're still in force. You can't live the Ten Commandments out without the power of the Lord inside you. You think, oh, well, I've never murdered anyone. Jesus elaborates on it and says, have you hated someone in your heart? It's like murder. Have you lusted, guys, after someone in your heart? It's adultery. Boom, boom. It's like I can't do it without the Spirit's work in me. So as we unpack Leviticus, rather than trying to go, uh, we will talk about the feast this morning, but I really feel like my calling is to give you the bigger, try to give you the bigger picture here. When I grew up in the Episcopal Church, each week we would take communion, and each week these words would come out. Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. And if you grew up in a liturgical church, you knew to respond. Therefore, let us keep the feast. I had no idea what that, I said that hundreds of times as a kid and a young adult. I had no, I mean, I said it because that's what everybody says. It's kind of cool to have everybody say the same thing. This is direct scripture, directly from the New Testament. Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. When we've talked about the book of Leviticus, what we've talked about is that it's a book trying to accomplish two things, in my opinion. It's trying to say, now that God is living among his people in a tent, in a place, dwelling in a place, how are we supposed to live in relationship to this God? What's they had no context. People coming out of uh, slavery in Egypt for generations had no context as to what it meant for them to live before God holy lives. Here God commands Moses, build this 
tent structure with this outer ring and whatever, and I'm going to dwell in the midst of that. And by the way, you can't go into his presence except one person once a year. So you're sort of dwelling outside that. Moses is a little different case, and we will deal with Moses another time. But but everybody else that's around there, you live in relationship to this holy God, but not quite sure how to do this. So this is Leviticus. I talked last week that we might look at it as the uh, the instruction manual in the glove box of the of the tabernacle. It's trying to give us a sense as to how to operate this thing, so to speak, or better yet, how we operate in the presence of a living God. Second thing we, we've got to bear in mind is that the, the biggest thing I think God is trying to get his people to see is that he is holy. And because he is holy, they were to be holy. Their purpose that they had lost was this idea that their reason for being was to reflect God to the world around them. That he had chosen Abraham, and then through Abraham and his offspring, he was investing himself in a people that were going to reflect him. And we are the result of that. That is still, in a sense, the task we have. So with those two things in mind, we see that Leviticus, I know some of this will be review, but I, I want you to carry something away from this. Leviticus has a symmetry of rituals in the first seven chapters we dealt with last week, the ritual of sacrifice. We talked about what that meant. The You can get the podcast and listen on the website or on iTunes. You can listen uh, to the introduction and to those first seven chapters about sacrifice. And then this morning we're dealing with the parallel symmetry in chapter 23, another ritual of the feasts. We will deal with next week the, the sort of next ring in chapters 8 through 10 and chapters 21 and 22 about are, are about the priesthood. What This is when the priesthood was established, the priesthood of Aaron. There had been priesthoods before, Melchizedek, but not the Aaronic priesthood, not ironic, Aaronic, Aaron's priesthood. What did that mean? We're going to deal with that next week. Then we're going to deal with the kind of the weirdest part of the book after the break, which is these ritual uh, and moral purity laws. Like, what do we do with those? Those are the things that whack people out, and like, I don't know what to do with all these chapters about these laws, and we're going to tackle that. And then the centerpiece is the Day of Atonement. It's one of the feasts, one of the days. We'll kind of gloss over it this morning because we're going to spend, because this is the center of the book. This is the, the, the pivotal part of this book, is this Day of Atonement. So, chapter 23 of the book of Leviticus deals with this, the beginning of the feasts. So, we feasts are a lot easier than sacrifices, right? Feasts, although many of these feasts also had sacrifices as part of them, but when you're dealing with cutting up animals and all that, it's kind of it's really hard for us to get our heads around. Feasting seems like, a, a better deal. So I want to say two things about the feasts, and we'll cover them very briefly, and each one really deserves its own teaching, because two things I want to say. The, the feasts point, just like everything in the Old Testament, everything in Scripture, everything in Leviticus, the feasts clearly, for, from our perspective, point to Jesus Christ. They They illuminate Him. And so we want to bear that in mind. Also, I think the feast teaches some things about living in community. 
So when we were dealing with the sacrifice, a lot of what we were talking about was how individuals and the community, especially in the Day of Atonement, get right with God. How does a sinful people come into the presence of a holy God without being destroyed? So we talked last week about the, the idea of how what sin does to people and, and how much God desires to be with us. A holy God cannot be with sin. And so what do we do with that? And the sacrifices teach us some things about that. Imagine, if you will, in that context, if you were the sun, right? The sun is a good thing. I think we would all appreciate that the sun is good. Without it, we're pretty not here, right? But the closer you get to the sun, or even looking at the sun, right? Remember the clips that we had and everybody's like got those funky glasses and stuff on? We have to have a funny relationship with the sun. Because of its energy and power, we can't just, you know, I think I'll just take a spaceship and we'll just sort of, you know, let's, let's, let's send a journey to the sun. We all know what happened, right? We get close enough and unless they develop some way for us to have a shield or something that would prevent, but it's hard to imagine. The sun is, from our perspective, just unbelievably powerful. Now take that and think about a holy God who made the sun and who's way more powerful than that, and we think, oh yeah, we'll just kind of casually come into that presence. We don't need a shield. We don't need, we can look directly at it. Well, the sun isn't being mean when it incinerates people. It's the nature of the sun. You can say, well, isn't God loving? Why would God do that? He is, but he's holy. And so it's not that God is unloving in doing it. It's his very nature to be holy. And so he is trying to give us a way to look at him, to come to him, fulfilled all in the way that we can look directly at Jesus, that we can touch Jesus. Do you see what a miracle it is? It is, it is as if the sun could take all its power, the, the physical sun, could take all its power and wrap it up in a way that we could just hug it. We can't even imagine such a thing. Do you get the sense like what, what it would be like? And, and so for us, here as we look at Leviticus, let's remember that he is trying to communicate as this unbelievable, loving, huge, powerful being trying to communicate with a people who intuitively have no way of understanding him. In chapter 23, he sets out some rituals for the way we live our lives, the way we spend our time. And you say, well, how is this going to make us holy? Well, let's see. Let me just quickly go through. The context of this is the first way he asks us to spend our time. In these, And it says these are, uh, let me point out one word before I go into this. In verse 2 of Leviticus 23, the Lord speaking to Moses says, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, These are the appointed feasts of the Lord, that you shall proclaim as holy convocations or gatherings. They are my appointed feasts. Get the emphasis there? Appointed feasts. That word there for appointed, it's an important word. It means that it's a chosen time. There's something very specific about that time. That's the exact right time to do this. Hold on to that because we'll come back to that word at the end. Six days, verse 3, shall work be done, but on the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, a holy convocation. 
you shall do no work. It is a Sabbath to the Lord in all your dwelling places. So first thing, this comes from the creation, right? Six days, God created the earth. Whether it's six 24-hour days or six, that's not the, the issue here. It's he, he, he ascribed work for a period of time, and then he said, rest. This is the rhythm that God established in holiness. His nature and his character. Hard for us to understand how a holy being, the sun doesn't rest. It's the way the sun just does that thing. But he, we created in his image, were created to rest. Just very simple start of this. Do we have any sense of how our rhythm of our weeks run? Some of you may have a very um, uh, pattern of that. And again, we'll, we may talk a little bit about, uh, in, a, in another time, about like how does Sabbath work now? Are we under, like, some people feel like the Sabbath should be practiced on a particular day for some Saturday, for some Sunday, for this and this and, and whatever. I don't know that we're under such bondage. However, I think this creation ordinance stands, which is, should we follow the pattern that he gives of work and rest? And I think in our culture, we're probably more inclined that, you know, we, we work and work and work. Um, and then you retire and you wonder what to do with yourself. But, but uh, no, I, I think we should think about w- what this is. So this is the weekly rhythm of our life. And, and he establishes this. Then he says, these are the, again, the same word, appointed feasts of the Lord, holy gatherings, convocations, which you shall proclaim at the time appointed for them. Appointed, appointed. There's a right time for these things. And then he goes in and he gives, it's, there's, very, there's great specificity here. In this month, now they don't do a calendar like we do, right? The, the Hebrew calendar, the Jewish calendar is lunar. It, it changes a bit. They add some time to make up so that the, the months don't get all whacked out with, uh, they want some months to be in the spring because it's based on the harvests. It's an agrarian society, right? So it's, it's based on what they were doing, their work life, as it were, and their subsistence life, the way they worked and the way they lived. And so we have these feasts and festivals, and here's the, I'll give you the broad outline of the way this works. In the springtime, I won't go over the, give you the, days, the 14th day of this month. It's just, it's not going to mean anything to us because we don't operate with those same month names. Let's just say in the springtime when the little shoots are coming up. By the way, they're coming up in my yard now, which is always so sad because you know they're going to get whacked in a couple of weeks, right? And they're going to, but don't you, do you have little shoots coming up of things in the ground? And I always want to say, no, no, not yet. Don't come up yet. It doesn't know, right? It's just coming up in response. And he says, when this is the time of the, in about two months or whenever it is, when things are really beginning to come, he says, this is the day, and within seven days, you're going to have these festivals. You're going to have one day, which is the Passover, right? And we have kind of know the Passover. It's a celebration of their release from Egypt, and the the New Testament is very clear that it is a mark of, of thanking God for our salvation, that the Passover, the angel of death having passed over them, he has passed over us. You do not have to fear dying. Okay? Some of you fear dying. The, the fear of death is a, is a thing. I, I get it. I, I've, I've been there. He says you, you don't ha- that, that doesn't have to be that because of Passover, your salvation is assured. 
and you celebrate on this day that for them it was that God rescued them from the bondage of Egypt. That's why Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. We keep this feast, and it's done in the context of taking communion, taking the bread and the wine. So that's the first, then you begin this one week in the same period of time, you begin seven days of, of unleavened bread. And this was, again, this preparation, be in a hurry, ready to leave Egypt, and for seven days. And there was, some work was done, but you took days off at the beginning of the end and did no work. And it was a time to reflect. It was a time to reflect on God's provision. It was a time to recenter and refocus at the beginning of what would be a very busy part of their life. The, the planting and, and all that. And then at the end, it's still in that same week, first fruits. The other third feast was first fruits. And it was a celebration. It was basically plucking that head out of the ground that we see coming and saying to God, you have provided. And I trust you that in this, this first fruit, this the first bit is yours and it will be yours. And again, these things, the 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 unleavened bread often in the that seven days reflects the fact that if leaven is sin that that the unleavened bread is Christ's purity and it speaks in uh, 1 Corinthians 15 so that um, Christ is the first fruit of being resurrected from the dead you want to know what life's going to be like after you die look at what happened to Jesus he's the first fruit what he we we sort of see his life says this is what's coming for you and so these things these feasts we see their direct fulfillment in christ so got these three happen within a week of each other they're all within one week i think it's eight days total but within a week these three happen you were to travel together as a community to celebrate this now think about this and we think of maybe uh, you've heard about people marching up to zion everybody goes to jerusalem because when jesus was alive they were all in one place a big crowd in jerusalem because males were only required to go but families went many people went and they celebrated there but when they were in the desert given this there was just a big tent and they're all camping in they're just like a tent city right they're just out there so it says come and gather around this tent with whatever you've grown, whatever you're able to produce in the wilderness. But again, they're living on manna, right? What is he doing? He's teaching them how they're going to live in the promised land. I don't even know what they were able to grow when they're out in the desert. But you see, here it is. If you can establish a life pattern in the preparation, when you enter the promised land, you can carry it with you. So many of us think, well, I'll, you know, I'll tithe when I've got money. If you have a dime and you tithe a penny, it's no different from having $10,000 and having $1,000. If we learn in the day to give, we begin to establish a pattern that honors a holy God and we begin to reflect Him. If you begin to honor God with your time when you are thinking, well, I, you know, I've got, I've got plenty of free time. But you can't honor God with that. Do you think in the busy day you'll be able to honor God with your time? How many of you just say, I have gobs of time all the time? No retired people, keep your hands down because you're going to make me feel so bad. But most of us run 
with you know, our lives from the time you're about in first grade on, you know, gosh, without our calendars, our phone, but can we honor God with our time and the rhythm of our day, week, month? Let's learn to do it because the promised land is a place we're supposed to live now. And yet we, we, we sometimes live in a wilderness and God is still with us, teaching us, preparing us. So we finish first fruits that week. They go back, they do their work, trying to, you know, in their context in the wilderness, trying to do what they were called to do. Fifty days later, Shavuot, it's also called the Feast of Weeks. We call it Pentecost, which means 50 days. And they now have leavened bread. Many people think that would stand for the Gentiles coming in because, again, we think of Pentecost as the coming of the what? Holy Spirit. 50 days, because this, is, this pattern is played out in Jesus' life. The Feast of of unleavened bread was happening during that week. We have the Passover, the which we we see as the first communion. This was all occurring in Jesus' life, and then 50 days later, we see a fulfillment as Pentecost, Shavuot. They're practicing it. They're in the upper room. We think somehow they're in the upper room. I don't know what we thought they were doing. Well, they're probably doing Shavuot. They're Jews. They're doing what Jews do. They're doing the feast. They're doing the, the harvest. The harvest is coming. Leavened bread, which is a little funny for them. For you know, They eat unleavened bread and leavened, and all of a sudden, what happens? The Holy Spirit comes. Boom! And I'm not sure what they thought or not, but the New Testament clearly teaches this is all pointing us back to its fulfillment in what Jesus has done. And then in the fall, so 50 days after, if we're in sort of you know, March-ish, then 50 days later is going to be sometime in May, probably, is Shavuot. And then in the fall, when they're gathering in the harvest, three more feasts. And they happen over about a two-week period. We have the Feast of Trumpets, which occurs, you know, let's just say like 1st of October, we'll just pick it so we don't use names of months that we don't really know. And one day. And what do trumpets stand for? Well, in the, for them, trumpets usually are associated with war. If you read in the Old Testament, every time a trumpet is blown, it's usually in context of it's wartime. For us, it usually it's associated in the in New Testament, it's with the second coming of Christ. A trumpet is blown. You know, Terry blows the trumpet and we know that we're singing about the coming of the Lord. We heard it this morning, when he shall come with trumpet sound, oh, may I then in him be found. Shortly after that, we have the high holy day of Yom Kippur, uh, the day of atonement. We'll have, have a, as I said, we'll have a whole talk about that. And then the final uh, day is, the, is tabernacles, Sukkot is what they call it. And it's where they celebrate God's provision as they were living right then in the wilderness when they received this. It's a one-week celebration, really eight days, ending with one day where you do no work and celebrate together. Three times in, in the Feast of Unleavened Bread and in Pentecost, Shavuot, and in Sukkot, Tabernacles, they said, come together as a people. Let me just say 
this about coming together. I think, again, he is trying to teach his people what it's like to live in the promised land. What it's like and community and coming together. Don't enter, underestimate the power of food and gathering. It is a powerful thing. And feasts were about, not every one of these do they eat together, but many they did, particularly in Sukkot when they lived in these tents. They would... They said, go gather people, invite people in, gather them to your table. Some of you all just do such a wonderful job gathering people in. And it is a powerful thing. We are, I mean, there's an epidemic of isolation. So many of us feel so isolated and alone, like there's nobody we can really talk to. And we just don't have people at our schools or at our homes or whatever that we can... We, we need to break that as the church if we're going to be in a pattern. And, and we need to eat together and we need to be together. And they were doing this not just to pass the time of day, but to celebrate the holy God in their midst. We call it, I mean, sometimes we, you know, we talk about small groups and that's, that's it. But if, if small group is just a thing to check off our bucket list, and oh, oh yeah, well, I have a small group, but we don't share. It's, it's not inte- what God intended. And so again, we, you know, we, we are desirous of um, being, our, our, our goal is to honor Jesus by, by becoming disciples and making disciples. And we do that in community. We do that as we gather together. And so if you feel isolated, if you feel like, well, I just don't have that, come, talk to us. There's ways we can make it happen. There's creative ways to make it happen. Honor God with your time, your attention. Let these feasts point us to the one who created them, to the one who wants to teach us. I thought it was quite interesting. Many of you know I'm a trivia guy. I love trivia. Just got that, whatever. And at some point, fairly recently, um, I learned that in, in the Liberty Bell, you know that Leviticus is what they chose to inscribe in our Liberty Bell? All the books of the Bible, you know, you'd think John 3.16 or something, but no, in, in our Liberty Bell inside of it is, um, is a quote from Leviticus. Let me just read you. I'll read it in context and then tell you what they, they put. It's Here's Leviticus chapter 25. This is talking about Sabbath and more about Sabbath and uh, the year of Jubilee, which is a wonderful study in its own right. Every 7th, 49th year and there's so much in here. But um, let me just read to you as we close Leviticus 25 verses 8 through 10. You shall count seven weeks of years. Seven times seven years, so that in the time of seven weeks of years, you shall make 49 years. Verse 9, chapter 25. Then you shall sound the loud trumpet on the tenth day of the seventh month. On that day of atonement, this is the once in 50 years, basically, you shall sound the trumpet throughout the entire land. You shall consecrate and proclaim the liberty throughout the land to all its inhabitants, it shall be a jubilee to you. Those words 
proclaim liberty throughout the land to everyone who lives here is inscribed inside the Liberty Bell. I pray that God would bring our nation to a point where we could proclaim the liberty of Jesus Christ because we're captive here. We're captive to so many fears and so many ideologies that really mar us. And could we listen to the bell ring that says there's something greater? Liberty, freedom, because it was for freedom that Jesus Christ came to set us free. These feasts and these sacrifices and all that we're going to learn is not to bind us, but to free us because it is Him, Christ our Passover, who has been sacrificed for us. And therefore, we can keep the feast. We can eat and drink and be joyful and free in Christ. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, we thank You for Your Word to us and we thank You for the things in a book like Leviticus that on first blush can seem so irrelevant. Lord, help us who want to walk with You to see within it the freedom, the liberty to learn things that we're no longer required to practice in the same way, but we get to enjoy because Your Spirit has been released in us so that we can live patterns of lives that have appropriate rest and appropriate work, that we can live in the year of Jubilee, that we can live in the Sabbath rest, that we can live, Lord, with remembering Your salvation We can look forward to the completion of the festival of trumpets when you do come with trumpet sound. When you dwell with us finally face to face, sight to sight in the tabernacle, Lord, that all is stripped away. You have begun the process already. Lord, would you make it real in our families? Lord, sometimes we live in such a shadow of of the reality and it seems so distant. But Lord, what we see now is really the shadow. What's coming is the reality. And we've been given the privilege of tasting it now, the very thin wall between heaven and earth. Lord, would you allow us through our practices and through your grace to see clearly through to what's a mystery and we can't see with our eyes, but open the eyes of our heart that we might behold you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.